This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. For years, Los Angeles County Men's Central Jail has been plagued with problems. One of California's oldest jails, Men's Central, is part of the world's largest jail system, with an average daily population of about 22,000. The reports of violence against people being held at Men's Central are so disturbing, they've been dubbed barbaric. The County Board of Supervisors in Los Angeles, which has adopted a care-first-jails-last approach at the insistence of activists, is now under fire for dragging its feet in closing down the jail and even reversing its position by considering a new jail facility for the mentally ill. My guest is Mark Anthony Clayton Johnson, Executive Director of Dignity and Power Now. Welcome to the program, Mark Anthony. Thank you for having me, Sonali. So for those of our audience, particularly outside L.A. County, give us a sense of the uh, of what Men's Central Jail is and what it has represented, particularly for families in Los Angeles. It's it's a notorious facility and it's in downtown L.A., you know, the place that people associate with the L.A. skyline and, you know, the business district and the arts district. And here we have Men's Central Jail. So give us how do you explain it for, say, someone in Seattle or New York? For sure. I mean, I think what's important to note in terms of understanding the scale of the problem, Los Angeles has the largest jail system in the world. On any given day, we historically have had up to 20,000 people in our jail system. As of today, we have somewhere between 14 and 15,000 folks. And Men's Central Jail is the largest facility in our jail system. Uh, It's also important to know Uh, that the Los Angeles County Jail System is home to the largest mental health facility in the country, Twin Towers Jail, which is built on the premise that a state-of-the-art medical uh, facility could function as a jail and could improve well-being uh, for people who are incarcerated. And we've only seen that myth fail. And we have seen it time and time again. And Men's Central Jail also sits within the center of that because it is the place where people who have very serious medical needs are held. It is a site of so much uh, historic violence. Uh, And we have moved, and I say we, I mean community members, people who've been incarcerated in those jails, people who have lost loved ones to brutality and medical abuse and negligence in those jails, have actually uh, moved the Board of Supervisors to close it to say, look, we are ready to say we are going to close Men's Central Jail and not build anything else. Uh, And what has been disheartening is that there is a map, there is a solution, there is a well-researched, well-substantiated plan. And we have yet to see the Board of Supervisors really invest in that plan that would improve the well-being of our communities and see less and less jail facilities in Los Angeles County. Let's get a sense of the brutality, because that makes the strongest case for why Men's Central should be closed. Tell me about Jelani Lovett, a young man who lost his life and one of many who've lost their lives in Men's Central. You know, Jelani is is one of 55 people who died in the Los Angeles County Jail system last year. That is more people that have died in a single year in a decade. Uh, And... Uh, what's unfortunate about it is that we have lost another loved one, another 
young black man and his mother, Terry Lovett, is constantly fighting for justice, calling on the Attorney General Rob Bonta to investigate the Sheriff's Department. Uh, but what is also really disheartening and frustrating is that the families have to deal with lack of transparency, uh, have to deal with um, justifications that don't make sense. And so when Terry Lovett, Jelani's mother, um, is told that her son was found unresponsive with fentanyl in his system, even though he was in solitary confinement, one has to ask, how did he get the fentanyl? When Terry receives an autopsy report that shows that his shoulder was pulled out of his socket, that he had bruising on his body, uh, that showed he had injuries, organ damage. Uh, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up to say uh, that fentanyl or suicide uh, was the cause of death. And yet this is the pattern in which black and brown mothers uh, are finding their children uh, dead in the county jails with no answers, with cover-ups. Uh, in fact, we have published a report uh, that showed that a lot of people, particularly black folks, but not limited to that, uh, are finding that the medical coroner's office are ruling the deaths of people in the jails as natural, which should raise questions for all of us because most people uh, who are being given a designation of natural death in our society are in their end of life stages. We're talking about 70, 75 years old. In the county jails, it's less than 50 years old. People have evidence of brutality on their bodies. People have evidence of medical negligence and abuse. And so anytime anybody dies, including Jelani um, in the county jail system, it should raise serious alarm around the questions of sheriff misconduct, brutality and abuse. So you have a situation where a person was not, you know, one, one of dozens killed within this jail system. And as we mentioned, this is the largest jail system in the world. And the who oversees this jail system is, of course, the sheriff, a, an elected position. For years, uh, L.A. County Sheriff Lee Baca had, you know, basically been under fire for overseeing this jail system. And then a few years ago, uh, there was thought to be a new-ish chapter, I suppose, for the reformists who thought replacing Lee Baca with uh, Alex Villanueva, who is the new sheriff, would improve things. What has happened under Villanueva's leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for folks to understand and for your listeners to understand that in Los Angeles County, uh, we have seen three sheriffs over the last decade repeat very similar patterns. So we're talking about Albaca, McDonald, and Villanueva. That's right. I didn't mention uh, McDonald. Yeah. And while the method may be different, how they show up in public may be different. Their political savviness may be different, but the outcomes are very similar. Uh, Cover-ups, abuses, violence against our loved ones, uh, rogue deputy gangs that hunt our, our loved ones, uh, that actually initiate members into their gangs uh, via the ritual of harming people up to the point of death, uh, killing uh, people in our communities and in our neighborhoods. Uh, and so what we've seen by Villanueva is really giving deputy gangs uh, free brain, uh, unchecked, 
uh, unaccountable reign uh, to continue that type of behavior. We've seen the Civilian Oversight Commission that we won that has called deputies and uh, sheriff staff in by subpoena to testify around the existence of deputy gangs that have confirmed it. They have confirmed themselves that even employees of the sheriff's department have been harassed by deputy gangs. And yet Sheriff Villanueva and some of his higher ups will not show, uh, will defy subpoenas, uh, will defy testifying under oath, any to face any of the questions that families have been raising about the level of violence and brutality that exists, not just in the community, again, but also in the jails. We know that, again, Jelani uh, was killed in the jails on the 3000 floor and the historic 3000 boys is just one of many deputy gangs that exist um, in this jail system. And it's one of the reasons why we cannot accept, certainly not building a mental health jail, but also understanding that people with mental health disabilities uh, are very high likelihood to experience the type of brutality and medical medical abuse and negligence uh, that is causing people their lives. And then we had uh, most recently this high profile incident where one of the County Board of Supervisors, Sheila Kuhl, had her home searched um, under warrant from the sheriff's office. Um, she has been one of the sheriff's critics on the County Board of Supervisors. Uh, it is thought that this might have been some sort of retaliation and, you know, just sort of taking on this uh, kind of aspect that makes it seem like we're watching a, a bizarre television show about what's uh, about what happens in the L.A. County uh, jail system and its political critics. Um, as far as I know, Villanueva has denied that this was political retaliation. But, but tell me about some of the county board politics around closing Men's Central and in general the accountability around the jail system. And, you know, there are elections coming up very soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly. And, and yes, what you are seeing and what you're, what you're talking about is an example of, of a sheriff who will use any and all tactics at his disposal to try and intimidate um, elected officials, uh, intimidate people who criticize him, uh, intimidate journalists, and certainly intimidate family members who have lost loved ones and people who criticize him. The, the behavior is consistent across the board. Um, and so, you know, the Board of Supervisors has been clear that Men's Central Jail needs to close. Um, and certainly that is not up for debate. Um, and what we also know is the elections uh, come up that uh, everyone across LA County will have the opportunity uh, to vote on Measure A and to, to determine for themselves whether the Board of Supervisors uh, should have the ability to remove a sheriff for cause if within the four-year term of a sheriff, they have demonstrated that they cannot do the job, that they are making conditions worse. Uh, and so these things are moving and community members are, are advancing solutions. Uh, and what is happening uh, right now is we have a debate in the county. Uh, amidst all this, we should be able to just focus on the solutions, the solutions that have already been determined to work. Uh, but now we have a debate in the county uh, around what to do with the mental health population in the jails. And the sheriff has been uh, a recalcitrant and unhelpful uh, force at best uh, when talking about people with mental health disabilities, talking about them as violent and irredeemable. We know the opposite is true. 
when we provide spaces of care for people, when we provide a clinical workforce, um, when we provide uh, wraparound services to folks, uh, judges, the DA, public defenders, clinicians, and certainly community members agree uh, that that is the safest solution for people who even have the most serious uh, mental health diagnoses and violent charges. We have seen uh, really, really, really strong evidence for the success of these type of programs. And that's what we built the Care First Jail Last Roadmap on. And that's what we are challenging the board uh, to invest millions of dollars in making a reality. Uh, and yet uh, there's consideration of a mental health uh, jail facility. I mean, it just is bizarre how th there was a time when jailing people, imprisoning them or putting them into a incarcerated position, even though it's a jail, is, um, you know, while they experienced mental health problems, was too cruel for society. We would not want to institutionalize people against their will, but it's essentially, it sounds like this is what the County Board of Supervisors is potentially considering. Correct. And so what we have is a situation where the Board of Supervisors is now debating between a couple options. One, and it's important to talk about the underlying premise. The underlying premise in either one of the options that I'm going to explain to you is that there are certain people in the jails who because of how severe their mental health crisis is and because of their charges, they cannot benefit from diversion. They cannot benefit from programs that would get them out of the jail, out of a cell, into the community, into peer-based models with clinicians on site and resources on site and permanent housing, even though we know that that model works. However, the sheriff has been successful um, in creating a narrative uh, and Supervisor Barger has been successful in creating a narrative that there are just certain people that can't be diverted. Uh, and so there's a debate happening around whether we should build locked uh, mental health facilities that very much function like jails, or we build facilities that are secure enough for people to be there, but get the treatment that they need and step down into other types of facilities in which they can have the type of care and community-based treatment that they deserve. Uh, and what I mean by that is many of us have had to take a loved one to a hospital when they're in the, in the midst of psychosis, when they're in the midst of hearing voices or, or believing that they're in danger, maybe experiencing paranoia. And that can be a very stressful and uncertain experience. And you want to know that if you take that person to the hospital or you take them to a treatment center, that you're not going to get a call uh, that your loved one somehow ran out of the treatment center and ran into ongoing traffic uh, and got hurt or uh, got into an interaction with a police officer and got killed, right? And so many of us understand the need for secure spaces, but that is very different than locked mental health jails. It is very different than treatment-oriented facilities. It is very different than seeing someone as a patient rather than, under, than assuming that because of their charges, that is just the nature of who they are. The other thing you should know is that when either one of these uh, motions that have been put before the board uh, were put forth, they were based in this idea that the severity of people's crisis was the reason they cannot be diverted. 
But in fact, the severity of people's crisis is temporary, right? And so right now, in any given moment, you have over a thousand people in our jail system right now who are so severely in their mental health episode um, that they need really concentrated treatment uh, and that clinicians have designated them as unable to be diverted in this moment. Uh, but the problem with that is, is that's temporary. The problem is that we don't have enough resources to get in there and get folks stabilized, which could take 72 hours for some people. It could take a week. It could take a month, right? But the point is it's temporary. And so to assume we need to build locked jail-like treatment facilities based on a very temporary phase in someone's care is a fundamentally flawed and inhumane analysis right, that we're challenging the board to, to reject. We're talking about a jail system, not a prison system. A jail system is where one is held while awaiting trial. It's where one is held after arrest and before trial. And so these are all presumed innocent people, um, you know, before Correct. they can be seen as guilty or pronounced guilty, they have to be presumed innocent. That's a constitutional right. So this is a jail system. Um, and so any number of people at any given time within that jail system are likely innocent of any crime, but are being held in horrific conditions. Um, I want to get to, because we're running out of time, I want to get to this, the question of the uh, some of the reports coming out just from the booking centers at Men's uh, Central and the LA County jail system where people are being shackled, unable to use the restroom facilities. So literally like sitting in their own filth and you know sleep having to sleep for days tell me about this uh, aspect of the story that you know in and of itself should be reason enough to shut down the facility it should be and it is a very serious human rights crisis it is a crisis that is very much um, out of compliance uh, with federal man mandates for how the board and how the county should be operating the jail. Right, the jail the system is under federal oversight. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, yes, what you're seeing is um, episodes throughout the year that keep happening where there is tremendous backup and overcrowding uh, in the reception center and people uh, are being held uh, shackled, as you said, to benches while they're, they're in uh, the severity of their crisis, their mental health crisis. Uh, and are kept in these places while they're trying to find a bed for these people. Uh, and it is quite, quite disturbing to see. Uh, it has gotten so bad that the ACLU has issued a temporary restraining order, has appealed to, an, to a judge to say, hey, look, you can't keep people shackled to a bench for more than four hours. And you certainly can't keep people here in this space overnight uh, when there's no beds, uh, there's no mattresses, there's no anything for people to sleep on. They're literally sleeping on concrete while suffering uh, in uh, dealing with their mental health crises. And so that is what continues to happen. And that happens because of the broader lack of systemic care capacity in the community. And the, the reality is, is we have seen the board time and time again. Just two months ago, we saw Supervisor Mitchell put forward a motion that said, hey, look, let's put millions of dollars into expanding the type of community-based treatment that we know works for one of the most difficult populations, people who have mental health disabilities and people who have violent charges. Uh, and that 
motion was voted down and watered down mm. uh, by Supervisor Solis, by Supervisor Kuhl. And so we see this constant undermining of the and, things we and know Solis need to happen. And Kuhl are supposed to be the liberals on the board. Correct, correct. <laughs> Solis did, uh, was one of the champions for canceling the $3.5 billion jail plan back in 2019. She knows this is a problem. Um, but just because you have a quote liberal or progressive board doesn't mean they can all coordinate around progress. And that is the dilemma that we're in and it's costing us lives. And so are there, uh, what's next? What are grassroots communities demanding next? I, I know that the you know, care first jails last approach um, is something that activists pushed for the county board to take on. And now you're accusing the county board to, of having a jails first care last approach. What's next, not just in grassroots organizing, but even uh, is your organization taking any positions on the election? There are several supervisors seats. I believe at least Sheila Kuhl's up for, or she's stepping down and, and there'll be an election to replace her, right? Uh, correct, correct. So right now we are seeing that seat being contested by um, Hertzberg and by Horvath. Uh, and what we want the community to know is that they should really be paying attention uh, to the policies and practices of both of these candidates. Pay attention to which of these candidates is interested in building a treatment-based, care-based Los Angeles versus a carceral-based uh, Los Angeles, which we have seen not work. Uh, it is very critical that we pay attention to that. Uh, it's also really important uh, that we pay attention to the sheriff election. And regardless of who uh, you vote for, understand that underlying the issues of the sheriff's department is a history of abuse is a history of medical negligence facilitated by sheriffs, is a history of lying to the public, is a history of denying subpoenas uh, that have really harmed our communities. And we really need folks to understand that uh, when you vote for the sheriff, be prepared to challenge them to do the right thing. And then in terms of the grassroots actions? So right now what we're doing is we're challenging the Board of Supervisors to put the money right where you said you were going to put it in the care first jail last roadmap uh, you can find that document online look up care first jail last you can find it on justice la websites that is our coalition that is pushing the board to say hey, look we have a hundred over a hundred recommendations uh, and at this point they're not even recommendations because they've been approved by the board. We would call them directives for what exactly needs to be built instead of jails. You're asking and the board all... to do what the board said they would do. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and to put the resources into making it happen. Don't just pass uh, solutions or policies that are the right thing, but actually fund them and implement them uh, and make sure that they actually scale to meet the need of the crisis. Give out a website, Mark Anthony, for your organization. Yes, you can get uh, Dignity and Power Now at DignityEmpowerNow.org. Uh, we are part of the Justice LA Coalition, which you can find at Justice LA Now. Uh, you can find Justice LA on Instagram uh, and Twitter, as well as Dignity and Power Now on Twitter, at Power Dignity and Dignity and Power Now on Instagram as well. Thank you so much, Mark Anthony, for joining us. Good luck to you.
Thank you. My guest has been Mark Anthony Clayton Johnson, the Executive Director of Dignity and Power Now. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.